thank you for listening. My name is Ken Carter, and I'm honored to serve as the bishop of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. And it's a real joy to be in a conversation with Ann Eppinger. She's just a great person. And I wanted just to begin by asking Ann to introduce herself to you. I am Ann Eppinger. I am a member of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando. Um, and I'm a volunteer and a called lay person. And you have a passion for God's mission in this world, and you're a very gifted uh, leader and businesswoman, and and you have really been instrumental in uh, in the work of Zoe. And uh, a lot of people listening to us might not know what Zoe is. Uh, could you uh, sort of share with us what that's about? Well, I volunteer to advocate for Zoe Empowers because I have I have just never seen a more life transforming and cost effective international mission. I mean, I've seen Zoe take some of the world's most desperate orphans and vulnerable children and help them move themselves out of extreme poverty to a life of sustainability and hope. My husband and I believe the, the results are generational and that these kids can actually sustain their lives generationally through this program. Right. Um, and uh, how did you come to know about Zoe? About 2009, um, my husband and I were asked by our district superintendent at the time, Wayne Wyatt, if we would uh, attend a afternoon, a Sunday afternoon event at a church in South Orlando. Epiphany Mujuana, who is the founder of Zoe, was actually in town. We went to listen to her, and my husband was just absolutely intrigued by what she had to say. He had probably been on 20 mission trips, many relief mission trips, a lot to Central America in his life. And it was something different. He was able to clear his calendar, and he, and a few months later, went to go see this program at work. He came back to Orlando, and he told us we absolutely had to be involved. And so our family has been personally involved with Zoe since 2010. He has sat on the board, and I now sit on Zoe's board. So we, right. we absolutely believe in what they're right. doing and have stood behind it. Right. Uh, and you mentioned relief. Uh, some friends of ours, Gaston Warner, uh, and Lacey Warner have written a book from relief to empowerment, which tells some of this story. Uh, but uh, so how have you seen Zoe on the ground uh, to be something that's kind of engaged you? Probably from its inception, when you hear the story, I mean, it was developed in Africa by an African. And that itself is very different than us in America coming in with our solutions. Mm -hmm. um, it came out of the sad, um, the devastation of the Rwandan genocide. Um, frustrated by the cycle of relief that came after that tragedy into the country, but made those people even more dependent upon uh, relief things. A group of social workers, Epiphany was one of those, um, literally began to dabble with a model because what they realized is that their people were now dependent upon relief efforts and they admit they needed everything that poured into that country but what had happened is that those things had started to pull out and to leave and they were even more dependent and so not only surviving genocide but also she survived childhood poverty she knew how complex things were she knew no no single element of relief that we could send them could actually transform a life so Zoe is born out of that. It is a model that actually, she recognizes there's about eight inputs you need to get a child out of poverty and keep them out. And so it is very 
um, holistic in itself. It's the logical things. It's the things we know you need, like food, income generation, secure housing, safety, all those things to also some of the maybe not more obvious things like the kids need their spiritual formation. They need a connection to their community. And so it's kind of a very innovative model that was put together in desperation. And it's this year we will have our 100,000th kid enter the program. So when Zoe happens in a community, what happens in the life of a child? Well, one of the most interesting things is that the children stay where we find them. And you might think it sounds harsh. They're not moved to an orphanage, but they'll tell us more than anything. They want, they, they have all those immediate physical needs, food, water, all of those things, but they want desperately to be connected to their community. They've lived on the outskirts of society. They have been shunned and ignored. So by staying in a community, they have a chance to truly be transformed. Um, Zoe has no orphanages whatsoever. Um, Every social worker works with about 800 children by design because that way the kids are forced to make every decision they can possibly make on their own. Zoe would take and make family out of 20 to 30 orphan households in a community. They would literally find a 16-year-old girl who was trying to take care of two younger siblings, a 19-year-old boy who might have five siblings, and a 16-year-old girl who's living all by herself in the world. 20 to 30 of those get grouped together into what's called an empowerment group. And those are the kids that make life together. So when we talk about an empowerment group, we're talking about 80 to 100 children in a community and kept there. And how does it work? They move through this three-year program together. Those eight inputs I talked about, housing and healthcare and income generation and child rights and all of those things, Every one of those inputs comes in over each of the three years of the model. They just come in very simply in the first year and a little more sophisticated in the second year. And by the third year, we're seeing kids not just looking outside of themselves, but they're looking to their community and they're hiring people and they're successful, connected people of their communities. My understanding of uh, Zoe has been that it really develops leaders among those who we say come to serve, that a part of empowerment is that they become the leaders of the mission. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing to see. I just returned from India and had some Florida churches with me. It was, it was amazing because they were shocked. We would meet children who were just months into, literally the month mm-hmm. before their empowerment group had started. Zoe has them elect leaders in the first couple of weeks of their mm-hmm. project. How do you have a treasurer when you have no money? But that the kids are running their own meetings they have an agenda they have leadership they might not have the assets yet but they're made to believe they can be anything Mm -hmm. when you look through the three-year model you see them up front deciding themselves they receive the budget of the group the first year they're deciding who needs the first grant who has the best idea believe me there's a tribal chief that's involved there's a full-time mentor for the community and there's a Zoe social worker involved. But what they're doing is trying to get these kids to make those decisions up front. It's the only way. We recognize they'll make mistakes. We recognize that's built into the program, but that is the only way that they can survive. Mm-hmm. Step back forward, we right up front, not only are they invited to go to church, and I say invited because it's important. Many of them, because of where they're located, 
have been abused by somebody who called themselves a Christian, mm. whether it's physically or whether they haven't been paid a living wage. So we help them be clean, we help them be whole, and we make it possible that they want to come to church. We see them becoming leaders in their church. Likewise, in that first year, they get invited to a local government meeting. Did they think in their wildest dreams that they would right. attend a local government meeting? Mm-hmm. But it's made possible for them to actually dream. I can show you leaders all over the place, the kids that actually today are yeah. leaders in their community. We have regional leaders. We have uh, trainers in the military. It's, it's, it's amazing because you make everything possible. You're flipping how they think about themselves, and you're making possibilities endless. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so how does a church, say a church in Florida, other churches, church leaders are, are, will be listening to, the, to us, but how does a church engage with Zoe? They can do it in, in many different ways. Um, one of the, my favorites is for a church to stand behind a group of children, whether it's they, they pair up with another church or a number of churches. Um, they literally decide to stand behind a group of children. Right. And it's, it's really powerful because without knowing anybody, you are deciding that you're going to impact lives. I just had a, a small Methodist church in Sarasota. They told me they worship 80 on a Sunday. Just come in and tell me that while their big missional push was this coming Sunday, they were going to sign up to, to partner. And what got them was the idea that there were 30 households in Zimbabwe that today didn't yet know that their lives were going to have a chance to be changed. But they will be because their church is going to step forward. Um, When you partner with a group, you stand behind them, you make a three-year commitment, um, financial commitment, and then you step back and Zoe locates children, they vet them, and about four months later you receive a name and list. You know the names of your children, the names and ages of all their siblings, and whether you decide to go visit a group or not, you would receive reports from Zoe staff. You would know what's going on, you would know how many income, how many income generating projects, what kinds, you would have individual child stories over a three-year period. But that's how you would engage. Um, we found Florida churches to be quite innovative when I work with them on ways that they bring this mission back to their churches. Uh, Zoe is very grateful when we get ideas from churches. We don't, we want it to be a partnership. We want it not just to be sending a check to Africa or India, but actually to to bring the ministry alive within a church and um, have tons of examples how church are are doing that here in Florida. Got some great missions people internally, lay and staff. Right. So you are an experienced leader in the church and nonprofits uh, in your in your city, and so you obviously have have become very engaged with Zoe, uh, which is really a transformational ministry. So the question I have is uh, kind of a personal question: what What have you sort of had to unlearn about maybe mission or serving other people as you've become more a part of Zoe? I think I've learned very much that we have a lot to learn from some of the world's most desperate people that stepping back and listening um watching zoe you staff in countries use local resources is inspiring it is cost effective when you have a farmer 
a staff member could clearly teach a child how to do a kitchen garden, but when you have a local farmer teach them, that's right. one more person that that kid knows right. in their community. Somebody who might say hello to them is a big deal. Yeah. And it's they're there. And then I come back and our church, right. St. Luke's, is, is doing things in their community, community transformation. Right. Right. But sometimes the answers are like, right in our communities already. The other thing I think is learning to listen because other mission trips I've done have been very physically hands-on. And I've had to learn to receive the gift of a story, to sit among children and hear what they have to say and receive some really hard things, to hear things. Sometimes I hear stories when the kids are entering the program and I don't know if I will see that child again, if they'll make it through their first years. Because when I talk about empowerment, it is empowerment. It is not a relief program. But I might meet the same kid two years ago, two years later, and they're telling me a different story. And then their story is received with joy. And so it's interesting to, to see how it's flipped me. The whole orphanage model for me personally has, um, it's just changed how I look at things, how keeping people in a community has not just allowed those children to thrive and be reconnected, but they become economic engines. We just Mm. are doing data collection. And in in Kenya, I remember 81% of kids upon graduation that we surveyed employed either other orphans or others in their community and their businesses. That's after three years, 81% of the kids. So they become economic engines. So yeah. I can tell a church or a family if they wanted to get involved that there's just so much you can learn if you're willing to to step back and let others take their own lead out of poverty. Right. Uh, And we should probably say Zoe is the Greek word for life. So Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. Mm -hmm. the, The Greek word is Zoe in the New Testament. And I'm remembering one of my mentors said, you, you reminded me of that, that when, when it's really God's mission, it's never clear who is helping whom. Uh, and you talked about the gift of the story and the gift of the children. Um, so I wanted to, to turn toward uh, just the Florida Conference Zoe relationship. Uh, a couple of years ago at our annual conference, a, a portion of our offering went to this, menace, this mission, Zoe, uh, and it was about $37,000. And tell us how uh, those funds were sort of multiplied. Yeah. With the conference's permission, we decided to, instead of partnering with a couple groups of children, we would give challenge grants. We would give 12 challenge grants to churches and individuals associated with Florida Methodist churches. And we would see what would happen. And we have been just elated that we have been able to put approximately a thousand new youth in the Zoe program because of that model. The churches have just responded very generously and with great excitement and we're grateful because in many cases we may have been talking to that church but that was something that helped them make that commitment and make that be something that they wanted to do. So we're very, very excited about that partnership and those groups are being formed right now. Great, great. Uh, just a couple of other questions. Uh, who are obviously people? People can uh, learn about this from you, Ann Eppinger. And who are who are just a few people, maybe clergy and lady around Florida? Some some listening might be connected to some of them who kind of can tell this story. Yeah, just had Steve Price at Trinity Gainesville come mm-hmm. back in February right. from Rwanda. Right. Um, he has been very missional, and so. 
has a great appreciation, I think, and can talk about Mm -hmm. how that compares to other things. Um, He said some really transformative things to me and is actively talking to his church. And I think he's a good person. Um, We had um, Peter Cottrell over in New Smyrna Beach, just got back from Kenya in January. Uh, Matthew Williams has Mm -hmm. traveled to Rwanda and will again to Rwanda and Kenya. So there's, there's, there's um, certainly clergy, Jen Stiles Williams at our church has gone three years ago to Rwanda. So mm-hmm. you're going to see more and more clergy, but I think there's also a lot of laity in, involved that yeah. can talk about it um, and what they saw and, and what they've brought back to their own churches, which I think is always an interesting yeah. conversation about maybe right. how they, not just what they learned, but how they could apply it to missions within their own church. Right. Uh, and tell us the website, how people can learn more about ZoeEmpowers.org. Okay. I think Zoe staff has done a wonderful yeah. job, uh, and it's, I'm told it's very easy to understand how the program works by a yeah. few clicks. Great. So ZoeEmpowers.org is that website, Great. so thank you. Excellent. And uh, just a last question. Uh, we're both Duke fans. Who's your favorite Duke basketball player? Oh, it's hard of all time to do each year. Because uh, I think um, it depends. This year, you can't be not be impressed by Zion, but um, Trey Jones was my favorite yeah. this year. Um, and I get to see him again next That's year because right. he's That's coming right. back. That's but right. of all time, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Of every championship team, Justice Winslow was my favorite in 2015, and he wasn't the, the right. most highly drafted. Right. And Christian Leitner is the biggest impact player, I yeah. think, that we've ever had. He could not lose. He... he he was the one you trusted in that big moment. So, yeah. That's Who's true. your favorite? You know, I think it's interesting this year. I would say it's uh, Johnny Dawkins. Uh, and he played when I was there and was kind of the first big recruit. And, of course, coaches at UCF in our annual conference and got to see him with several friends this year. And they had, of course, a big close game with Duke. Uh, But uh, anyway, uh, it's a great tradition. And I know this is a little off topic for this podcast, but uh, if you've listened so far and uh, you have a different idea, well, uh, we could take that up sometime later. But uh, I have great respect for Anne and uh, just thank you for the conversation. Thank you for uh, just giving your life to Zoe and through Zoe to these uh, kids. So God bless you. And thanks to those of you who are listening.